Welcome to the United by Strength podcast. Hard work knows no gender, race, sexuality, or creed. It is the universal building block upon which successful tribes are built. Here, you will learn from powerlifting coaches, gymnastics coaches, CrossFit coaches, nutrition coaches, and strongman coaches. We collaborate and share best practices and want to bring our experience and continuing education to you. The movement section of the Level 1 Training Guide, the shoulder press, push press, and push jerk. Top of page 97. Learning the progression of lifts that moves from the shoulder press to the push press to the push jerk has long been a CrossFit staple. This progression offers the opportunity to acquire some essential motor recruitment patterns found in sport and life, aka functionality, while greatly improving strength in the power zone and upper body. In terms of power zone and functional recruitment patterns, the push press and push jerk have no peer among the other presses like the king in quotation marks, of upper body lifts, the bench press. As the athlete moves from shoulder press to push press to push jerk, the importance of core to extremity muscle recruitment is learned and reinforced. This concept alone would justify the practice and training of these lifts. Core to extremity muscular recruitment is foundational to the effective and efficient performance of athletic movement. The most common errors in punching, jumping, throwing, and a multitude of other athletic movements typically express themselves as a violation of this concept, because good athletic movement begins at the core and radiates to the extremities. Core strength is absolutely essential to athletic success. The region of the body from which these movements emanate, the core, is often referred to as the power zone. The muscle groups comprising the power zone include the hip flexors, hip extensors, also known as the glute and hams, spinal erectors, and the quadriceps. These lifts are enormous aids to developing the power zone. Additionally, the advanced elements of the progression, the the push press and jerk, train for and develop power and speed. Power and speed are king in sports performance. Coupling force with velocity is the very essence of power and speed. Some of our favorite and most developmental lifts lack this quality. The push press and jerk are performed explosively. That is the hallmark of speed and power training. Finally, Mastering this progression gives ideal opportunity to detect and eliminate a postural mechanical fault that plagues more athletes than not. This is known as the pelvis chasing the leg during hip flexion. This fault needs to be searched out and destroyed. The push press performed under great stress is the perfect tool to conjure up this performance wrecker so it can be eliminated. And then we've got a box labeled shoulder press. It's kind of walking you through the points of performance for that movement. The setup, take the bar from supports or clean to the rack position. The bar sits on the shoulders with the grip slightly wider than shoulder width. 
the elbows are below and in front of the bar. Stance is approximately hip width. Press the bar to a position directly overhead. Head must accommodate the bar. Moving on to the push press. Setup. The setup is the same as the shoulder press. The dip. Initiate the dip by bending the hips and knees while keeping the torso upright. The dip will be only a couple of inches. The drive. With no pause at the bottom of the dip, the hips and legs are forcefully extended. And the press. As the hips and legs complete extension, the shoulders and arms forcefully press the bar overhead until the arms are fully extended. And finally, the push jerk. Setup. The setup is the same as for the shoulder press and push press. Dip. The dip is identical to the push press. Drive. The drive is identical to the push press. Press under. This time, instead of just pressing, you press and dip a second time simultaneously, catching the bar in a partial squat with the arms fully extended overhead. And the finish. Stand to fully erect with bar directly overhead, identical to terminal position in the push press and shoulder press. Also has some illustrations that you should check out here. They're sequential pictures illustrating the uh, components of the movement. And then it also shows muted hip function uh, and some other things that are really important for you to see. So make sure you check that out. Now we are moving on to the top of page 101, the role of the abs in the overhead lifts. Athletically, the abdominal's primary role is midline stabilization, not trunk flexion. They are critical to swimming, running, cycling, and jumping, but never is their stabilizing role more critical than when attempting to drive loads overhead. And of course, the heavier the load, the more critical the abs role becomes. We train our athletes to think of every exercise as an ab exercise, but in the overhead lifts, it is absolutely essential to do so. It is easy to see when an athlete is not sufficiently engaging the abs in an overhead press. The body arches so as to push the hips and the pelvis and stomach ahead of the bar. Constant vigilance is required of every lifter to prevent and correct this postural deformation. Summary. From shoulder press to push jerk, the movements become increasingly more athletic, functional, and suited to heavier loads. The progression also increasingly relies on the power zone. In the shoulder press, the power zone is used for stabilization only. In the push press, the power zone provides not only stability, but also the primary impetus in both the dip and drive. In the push jerk, the power zone is called on for the dip, drive, second dip, and squat. The role of the hip is increased in each exercise. With the push press, you will be able to drive overhead as much as 30% more weight than with the shoulder press. The, the push jerk will allow you to drive as much as 30% more overhead than you would with the push press. In effect, the hip is increasingly recruited through the progression of lifts to assist the arms and shoulders in raising loads overhead. 
After mastering the push jerk, you will find that it will unconsciously displace the push press as your method of choice when going overhead. The second dip on the push jerk will become lower and lower as you both master the technique and increase the load. At some point in your development, the loads will become so substantial that the upper body cannot contribute but a fraction to the movement, at which point the catch becomes very low and an increasing amount of the lift is accomplished by the overhead squat. On both the push press and jerk, the dip is critical to the entire movement. The stomach is held very tight and the resultant turnaround from dip to drive is sudden, explosive, and violent. Try this. Start with 95 pounds and push press or push jerk 15 straight repetitions. Rest 30 seconds and repeat for a total of 5 sets of 15 repetitions each. Go up in weight only when you can complete all 5 sets with only 30 seconds rest between each and do not pause in any set. Repetition 1. This is another exercise to try. Repetition 1. Shoulder press. Repetition 2. Push press. Repetition 3. Push jerk. Repeat this sequence until shoulder pressing is impossible. Then continue until push press is impossible. Then five more push jerks after that. Start with 95 pounds and go up only when the total repetitions exceeds 30. Continuing in the movement section, the deadlift at the top of 102. The deadlift is unrivaled in its simplicity and impact while unique in its capacity for increasing head-to-toe strength. Regardless of whether your fitness goals are to rev up your metabolism, increase strength or lean body mass, decrease body fat, rehabilitate your back, improve athletic performance, or maintain functional independence as a senior, the deadlift is a marked shortcut to that end. To the detriment of millions, the deadlift is infrequently used and seldom seen either by most of the exercising public and or, believe it or not, by athletes. It might be that the deadlift's name has scared away the masses. Its older name, the health lift, was a better choice for this perfect movement. In its most advanced application, the deadlift is prerequisite to and a component of the world's fastest lift, the snatch, and the world's most powerful lift, the clean. But it is also, quite simply, no more than the safe, the safe and sound approach by which any object should be lifted from the ground. The deadlift being no more than picking a thing off the ground keeps company with standing, running, jumping, and throwing for functionality, but imparts quick and prominent athletic advantage like no other exercise. Not until the clean, snatch, and squat are well developed with the athlete again will the athlete again find as useful a tool for improving general physical ability. The deadlift's primal functionality, whole body nature, and mechanical advantage with large loads suggests its strong neuroendocrine impact 
And for most athletes, the deadlift delivers such a quick boost in general strength and sense of power that its benefits are easily understood. If you want to get stronger, improve your deadlift. Driving your deadlift up can nudge your other lifts upward, especially the Olympic lifts. Fear of the deadlift abounds, but like fear of the squat, it is groundless. No exercise or regimen will protect the back from the potential injuries of sport and life or the certain ravages of time like the deadlift will. We recommend deadlifting at near max loads once per week or so, and maybe one other time at loads that would be insignificant at low reps. Be patient and learn to celebrate small, infrequent bests. Major benchmarks would certainly include body weight, a twice body weight deadlift, and a three times body weight deadlift, representing beginner, good, and great deadlifts, respectively. For us, the guiding principles of proper technique rest on three pillars. One, orthopedic safety, two, functionality, and three, mechanical advantage. Concerns for orthopedic stresses and limited functionality are behind our rejection of wider than hip-to-shoulder width stances, while acknowledging the remarkable achievements of many powerlifters with the super-wide deadlift stance, we feel that its limited functionality, as in we cannot safely walk, clean, or snatch from out there, and the increased resultant forces on the hip from the wider stances warrant only infrequent and moderate to light exposures to wider stances. Experiment and work regularly with alternate, parallel, and hook grips. Explore carefully and cautiously variances in stance, grip width, and even plate diameter. Each variant uniquely stresses the margins of an all-important functional movement. This is an effective path to increasing hip capacity. Consider each of the following cues to a sound deadlift. Many motivate identical behaviors, yet each of us responds differently to different cues. 1. Natural stance with feet under hips. 2. Symmetrical grip, whether parallel, hook, or alternate. 3. Hands placed where arms will not interfere with the legs while pulling from the ground. 4. Bar above juncture of little toe and foot. 5. Shoulders slightly forward of the bar. 6. Inside of elbows facing one another. 7. Chest up and inflated. 8. Abs tight. 9. Arms locked and not pulling. 10. Shoulders pinned back and down. 11. Lats and triceps contracted and pressing against one another. 12. Keep your weight on your heels. 13. Bar stays close to legs and essentially travels straight up and down. 14. Torso's angle of inclination remains constant while bar is below the knee. 15. Head straight ahead. 15. Shoulders and hips rise at the same rate when bar is below the knee. 16. Arms remain perpendicular to the ground until lockout. 
And this is a funny transcript, a uh, little table at, on page 104, a conversation between a coach and a doctor, transcript of an actual conversation. The doctor says, many of my patients shouldn't be doing the deadlift. The coach says, which ones are those, doc? The doctor says, many are elderly, marginally ambulatory, and frail slash feeble and osteoporotic. The coach says, doc, would you let such a patient, let's say an old woman, walk into the store to get cat food? The doctor says, sure. If the walk weren't too far, I'd endorse it. The coach says, all right, suppose that after walking home, she came up to the front door and realized that her keys were in her pocket. Is she medically cleared to set the bag down, get her keys out of her pocket, unlock the door, pick the bag up, and go in? The doctor says, of course. That's an essential activity. The coach says, as I see it, the only difference between us is that I want to show her how to do this essential activity, as you put it, safely and soundly, and you do not. Doctor says, I see where you're going. Coach says, Doc, we haven't even scratched the surface. So, deadlift points performance, bottom of page 104. There's a photo sequential afterwards to check out. Look straight ahead. Keep the back arched. Arms do not pull. They are just straps. Bar travels along the legs. Push through the heels. The deadlift, like the squat, is a essential functional movement and carries a potent hormonal punch. This is core training like no other. I don't think that's a point of performance. I think it's just stuck in there at the end. All right, the sumo deadlift high pull. Points of performance, enlisted, order. Start on the ground. Assume a wide sumo stance. Take a narrow grip on the bar. Look straight ahead. Keep back arched. Pull with hips and legs only until both are at full extension. Aggressively open hip fully. Powerfully shrug. Immediately pull with arms, continuing the upward travel of the bar. Keep the elbows as far above your hands as possible. Bring the bar right up under the chin briefly. Lower to hang, lower to ground. For range of motion, line of action, and length and speed of action, the sumo deadlift high pull is a great conjugate to the thruster. At low loads, this is our favorite substitute for the concept two rowing. And moving on to medicine ball cleans. The clean and jerk and the snatch, the Olympic lifts, present the toughest learning challenge in all of weightlifting. Absent these lifts, there are no complex movements found in the weight room. By contrast, the average collegiate gymnast has learned hundreds of movements at least as complex, difficult, and nuanced as the clean or snatch, in large part because most weight training is exceedingly simple. Learning the Olympic lifts is for too many athletes a shock of frustration and incompetence. Sadly, many coaches, trainers, and athletes have avoided these movements precisely because of their technical complexity. Ironically, but not surprisingly, 
The technical complexity of the quick lifts exactly contain the seeds of their worth. That is, they simultaneously demand and develop strength, power, speed, flexibility, coordination, agility, balance, and accuracy. When examining the reasons offered for not teaching the Olympic lifts, we cannot help but suspect that the lifts detractors have no firsthand or real experience with them. We want to see someone, anyone, do a technically sound clean or snatch at any weight and then offer a rationale for the movement's restricted applicability. Where Were they dangerous or inappropriate for any particular population, we would find coaches intimate with the lifts articulating the nature of their inappropriateness. We do not. At CrossFit, everyone learns the Olympic lifts. That is right, everyone. We review here the bad rap hung on the Olympic lifts because we have made exciting progress working past the common misconceptions and fears surrounding their introduction, execution, and applicability to general populations. The medicine ball clean has been integral to our success. The Dynamax medicine ball is a soft, large, pillowy ball that ranges in weight from 4 to 28 pounds, available in 2-pound increments. It is non-threatening and even friendly. Working with Dynamax balls, we introduce the starting position and posture of the deadlift, then the lift itself. In a matter of minutes, we then shift our efforts to front squatting with the ball. After a little practice with the squat, we move to the clean. A similar approach is used to teach the shoulder press, push press, and push jerk. The clean is then reduced to pop the hip and drop catch it in a squat, and it's done. The devil is in the details, but the group is cleaning in five minutes. It is a legitimate functional clean. This clean may in fact have clearer application than cleaning with a bar to because it's close, more closely related to heaving a bag of cement into a pickup or hucking up a toddler to put into a car seat. The faults universal to lifting initiates are all there in as plain sight with the ball as with the bar. Any subtleties of, of matured and modern bar technique not possible with the ball are not immediate concerns, and their absence is plainly justified by the imparted understanding that is functional stuff and applicable to all objects we may desire to heave from the ground to our chest. And all of page 108 are uh, sequential pictures showing both the medicine ball, but then also common faults and corrections and what those look like. Just definitely check that out. Moving into page 109. In a group of mixed capacities, the newbies get the light balls and the veterans get the heavy ones. In 30 rep doses, whoever ends up with the 28-pound ball is going to get a workout regardless of his or her abilities. The heavier balls impart a nasty wallop far beyond the same work done with a bar or dumbbell of equal weight. Considerable additional effort is expended, adducting the arms, which is required to pinch the ball and keep it from slipping. We use the medicine ball clean in warm-ups and cool-downs to reinforce the movement 
and the results are clearly manifest in the number and rate of personal records we are seeing in bar cleans with all our athletes. Yes, the benefit transfers to the bar, even for our better lifters. In the duration of a warm-up, there are uncountable opportunities to weed out bad mechanics. Pulling with the arms, not finishing hip extension, failing to shrug, pulling too high, lifting the heels uh, in the first pull, curling the ball, losing back extension, looking down, catching high, then squatting, slow dropping under, slow elbows, all the faults are there. With several weeks practice, a group will go from spastic to a precision medicine ball drill team in perfect sync. In fact, that is how we conduct the training effort. We put the athletes in a small circle, put the best clean available in the center as the leader, and ask the athletes to mirror the center. Screw-ups are clearly evident by being in postures or positions out of sync. Attention is riveted on a good model while duplicating the movement in real time. The time required for paralysis through analysis is wonderfully not there. Thinking becomes doing. Individuals generally impervious to verbal cues become self-correcting of faults made apparent by watching and comparing to others. It is not uncommon for shouts of correction to be lobbed across the circle from participant to participant. The number of coaching cues and discussion becomes reduced to the minimum and essential as the process is turned into a child's game of follow the leader. Where this becomes dangerous, in quotation, or bad for the joints, in quotations, or too technical to learn, in quotations, or any other nonsense routinely uttered about weightlifting, we do not know. Thank you for listening to the United by Strength podcast. We hope that you enjoyed the information that we were able to put out today. Please take from it what you want and leave what you don't. If you have feedback for us, please send it to unitedbystrengthpodcast at gmail.com. Please leave us a review if you have the time. It really helps people find the podcast and allows us to grow our base of listeners.